Over 10 years ago, McKinsey senior partner Aaron DeSmet was working so hard and traveling so much, he lost sight of dire circumstances at home. It took me a while to realize that um, my wife at the time had a severe addiction and um, my family was not okay. In order to deal with the crisis, he reacted in a way that was familiar to him. My reaction to problems that I feel passionate about is to tackle them head on, to fix them, to control. But trying to wield control over the situation didn't help. The answer I came up with, I will say, did not help my family. I had to learn to truly change some pretty fundamental things about myself. And eventually I had to learn to become a single father to two fairly traumatized um, girls who, you know, grew up with a, a very difficult situation where I, I, I initially did not show up in a way that was helpful to them. Aaron's self-reflection motivated him to write the book Deliberate Calm with Mikhail Kraut and Jackie Brassi, a senior knowledge expert at McKinsey. This book aims to help leaders resist knee-jerk reactions to unanticipated events, which are happening more and more. This is a special episode of the McKinsey Podcast, where we help you make sense out of our world's toughest business challenges. I'm your host for today, Roberta Fasaro. Here's Jackie, who says deliberate calm is really a set of skills that helps leaders make the best decisions in the moment, even when it's tough. We're constantly faced with new levels of uncertainty, uh, volatility, and change is now the norm. I have grown up in a world where the way we think about how to handle um, a crisis is, I would say, outdated. So this book helps leaders understand how to change their relationship with change, how to change their relationship with uncertainty, not to shy away from it, uh, but also a better toolkit for, for dealing with it on an ongoing basis. Aaron says his thinking on crisis response was influenced by Harvard professor Dutch Leonard, who says it's important to understand not all crises are created equal. One of the things he uh, mentioned at the time was there's a difference between what he called a routine emergency and a crisis of uncertainty. And a routine emergency could be a building is on fire and firefighters are in a very difficult situation with respect to the nature of the fire and lives at stake. However, if it is a, a fairly routine fire, there's nothing special about it other than the size and magnitude and stakes, the firefighters have likely trained for an event like this. But in a crisis of uncertainty, Aaron says you can't fall back on what you know. I often want to react based on what I've already learned, not what I need to learn. Or I just shut down and freak out. If you are in an uncertain situation, the most important thing you can do is calm down. Take a breath. Take stock. Is the thing I'm about to do really the right thing to do? And in many cases, the answer is no. If you are in truly an uncertain environment, if you're in new territory, the thing you would normally do might not be the right thing. And if resisting the temptation to react as usual is hard, this is where you can be very cognizant of a protection status quo reactive mindset where I just fall back on what I know versus a learning mindset where I have to say, this is, this is an opportunity for me 
to learn something and evolve and adapt. Jackie Brassi agrees. She says in order to evolve or adapt, people have to start from a place of awareness. Knowing that there is a process going on for ourselves in our brain and body, and there is science behind it. We have a protocol in the book that we describe, very simple steps, where for four weeks you can actually start uh, observing the moments that you feel um, triggered by uh, by a stressful situation and then we have a couple of structured questions you know that to help you understand what is actually going on what goes on in your brain what are your thoughts what goes on in your body what do you feel it's very important that we also learn to connect with our body because the brain is not just uh, above the brain stem and disconnected with the rest of the body we emphasize that also in our book it's it's holistic right so once you get good at objectively understanding your feelings Jackie says your next step is to note what you want to do in response to those emotions. Are we moving towards something? Are we moving away from something? Are we trying to um, face the, the challenge that, uh, that is ahead of us? To give an example of deliberate calm both in action and not in action, Jackie told a story about one business leader. His company was undergoing a large and high-profile transformation. Layoffs were on the horizon and everyone was stressed. The leader, he felt very responsible and he felt like he needed to make this a a huge uh, success, but also the time pressure was high. He wanted to move very fast with no discussion, which created friction within the team. Sound familiar? It is a typical example that you see in many organizational settings. This leader uh, completely um, became so emotional, but also he went from overdrive to extreme overdrive and started shouting. So actually the opposite of deliberate calm. Another another leader in the the room uh, went up and started to have a conversation with him. But there was a difference in in hierarchy. And what you also see often, you know, when there's stress, when there's shouting and difference in hierarchy, then this even puts more pressure on the person. And he really showed deliberate calm in action. He really stayed very calm, uh, had an open posture, and asked very calm questions and open questions to understand the situation. And um, and even though actually even at some point Leader A started to attack him personally, it did not bother him. And, and eventually he calmed down the situation, opened up basically the conversation and became a dialogue instead of a, instead of a, a back and forth and, and a, a more of a protection conversation, a fighting conversation. How hard is it to learn to be deliberately calm? Change is hard. And, and if you think about how many organizations drive change, they often start with, what's the sense of urgency? What's the case for change to get people's attention and convince them that you need to pay attention to this and you need to commit to doing something different? Uh, because even small things are hard to change once you have a built-in habit. Habits can be broken if people develop what Aaron and Jackie call dual awareness. Dual awareness is the important connection between self-awareness and situational awareness. So the situation, what is the situation and what does it call for? What is it asking of me? What are the characteristics of the situation? Is this a known situation with known solutions where the thing I would normally tend to do is the right thing? Or is this a new and different situation where my normal habits or tendencies or reactions might not be of service, which comes back to self-awareness. What are my normal habits and tendencies? 
what are the things I'm good at or not good at? What are my habitual reactions? And is that appropriate? Navigating conditions of great volatility and great uncertainty almost always require a higher degree of dual awareness. A good example of what can happen when dual awareness is missing comes from the Netherlands. Jackie says the Minister of Health there showed situational awareness, but not personal awareness, during the COVID-19 pandemic. This minister uh, was so focused on really serving the country and bringing all that was needed to the table that he forgot actually to take care of himself. He forgot he needed also recovery and rest. Um, a result is of, of it was that he basically fainted on national television uh, a couple of weeks into the crisis. When we talk about dual awareness, it is not only the focus of what is happening currently and what needs our uh, focus and attention and what type of focus and attention is that. It is also always in communication with what's going on for me and how can I take care of myself to sustainably serve uh, in this situation. And dual awareness is not just for individuals. Teams can also develop it by examining who they are as a unit and how that unit functions. How do we as a team tend to organize around an opportunity or challenge like this? And is that the right way to do it? Um, do we as a team have collective blind spots? How do we take a step back and make ourselves more aware? But asking the right questions often means different questions, curious questions, questions of, yeah, but why do we do it that way again? On a team, sometimes what you learn and do differently is in collaboration with others. So now the self-awareness isn't just self-awareness of myself as an individual. It's also a collective self-awareness of the team. What are we good at as a team? Who is good at what? How, does, how do we as a team tend to swarm a problem like this? And is that the right way to do it? What, what do the data look like around deliberate calm? Are leaders more effective or employees more productive? First of all, we actually have our own uh, study that we've done because we also train leaders uh, in, uh, in these skills. And we've rolled a program out with an organization um, with a couple of thousand of, uh, of leaders and a control group. So it was really uh, a great setting to measure evidence. And what we found is in a synthesized way, um, leaders showed not only self-perceptions, but also evaluated by others, three times better adaptive behaviors and, uh, and outcomes. From how good of a leader they were, how productive they were, how inspiring they were, the quality of their decisions, a whole bunch of things. And also seven and a half times improvement in well-being versus the control group. So that is already amazing uh, uh, data. The other data points is that we basically know that learning agility is the number one driver of leader success and potential ahead of IQ, personality-related EQ, and ability-related EQ and job experience. If I'm practicing deliberate calm and I serve as a mentor to 12 people in my company and I can role model that behavior, I imagine that it, the effects can be exponential. Our belief is that there's a tipping point that helps a whole organization improve on these things. And part of it is because the skills involved, when you start applying them at a team level, start creating a foundation of things that when they all come together, create, when, when you see it in action, a, a bit of magic. Building that foundation takes time and practice. 
we're not prescriptive about what would be good because everybody individually should uh, should find out what works for them. But there are many ways. Yeah, I mean, the word corporate athlete sometimes comes up in our conversations. It's the same as, uh, as anybody who wants to train for a marathon or for um, some high-level sports. You don't do that overnight. You practice. How important is it to see deliberate calm as a process more so than a destination? It is always a process. It's a journey. And, uh, and and by the way, I want to emphasize there is a time and place for everything. You know, even though I have been one of the co-authors on this book, um, I am not continuously a 10 out of 10 on the liberal calm myself. And we know from research that we can continue to learn and develop actually uh, well uh, after our 80s. So there is a lot of hope. <laughs> there is a lot of opportunity. If you pay attention to it and if you're intentional and you really want to uh, grow and develop, you can uh, absolutely um, enjoy that lifelong learning experience for a very long time. I would say well beyond our old age. Deliberate Calm is available for purchase on November 29th online and in stores. Thanks so much for listening to the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Lucia Rahili. And I'm Roberta Fasaro. Find us on McKinsey.com. We'll have a transcript of this episode up shortly. And check out the McKinsey Insights app where you can find this podcast and other helpful content updated daily. And if you would, we'd love for you to leave a rating and a review. We'll see you in two weeks.